Welcome back everyone to another exciting installment of the Desert Tiger Podcast. If this is your first time tuning in, first off I want to go ahead and thank you for choosing to join us here on the DTP. If you're brave enough to experience this journey with us every single week, every single Thursday to take that delve into the lives of various entertainers, creators, artists, athletes, and all the like, I ask you to please hit the follow or subscribe button on whatever service you are listening on because that is the best way to stay up to date with every new episode of the Desert Tiger Podcast. All right, you guys, today is our first metal artist, and he also happens to be our first comic book writer. So without further ado, let's get into it. Music, athletics, arts, and entertainment. The Desert Tiger Podcast with Colton Geschwader. And that is me, your host here on every single episode of the DTP. My name is Colton G, and I couldn't be more excited for this episode of the podcast, because like I already said, we are not only taking our first dive into the world of comics, but we are also taking our first dive into the world of progressive metal. That's right, the show that has been told numerous times that you really gotta find a niche continues to break the mold and not do that in any way, shape, and or form. So today our guest on the show is Mr. Quinn McGraw. Quinn is the drummer for progressive heavy metal act Living Machines, which hail out of Kelowna, British Columbia, and whose lyrics are also based on a story, a comic book story, that Quinn is in the middle of writing as well, entitled Gemini, A Tale of Future Earth. So this is very exciting for me because I am a huge fan of concept albums. If you know me, I am a big fan of Coheed and Cambria, and this is definitely sort of like that, except a little bit heavier. It's definitely a very exciting story in its own right, though, and we are going to be delving into the details of Gemini. We're going to be talking about how that story was born, and some of the experiences one may go through while trying to create their own comic book. We are also going to discuss with Quinn today how he has gone about taking the story of Gemini and making it into the lyrics for his band Living Machines. They thaw, yes, they thaw very hard, and of course you're going to be hearing that for yourselves as you know we love to spin a couple tracks here on Desert Tiger. We're going to be kicking the show off with the first track that they ever made. It hits pretty heavy, so I think it was a very good single for the band to kick things off of. But before we get to that, let's talk a little bit more about today's guest. What else do we dive in? Of course, we're going to be diving into Quinn's inspirations, not only in music, but in writing and in comics. We're going to dive into some of his experiences as a musician. We're going to be talking about his new podcast that is just about to drop. 
that is called Into the Machine. He has a lot going on. He is a very creative individual, and I am very excited to bring his story forward to you, the listeners here at the Desert Tiger Podcast. And with that in mind, I believe it is time to load up G's jukebox, get your quarters ready, load up the machine. We are about to bring you another great track. And like I already told you, this was Living Machine's very first release, their very first single. I hope you guys enjoy it just as much as I do. It is heavy. It's hard. It's headbanging. It's going to make you want to dance around the room. This is White Flame. Oh 
The Desert Tiger Podcast. We are here with Quinn McGraw. How is it going, my dude? It's uh, it's good, man. Yeah, it's real good. Thanks for having me on the show. No worries at all. I'm very, very excited to have you on the show. You are the first metal artist on the show and also the first comic book writer. Oh, dang. Taking yes, taking the honors on two, two reigns here. Right on. <laughs> yes, yes. We are the uh, show that keeps getting told we need to find a niche, but we just don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? The niche is doing everything, so why not? No, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Make my own niche. Yeah, dude, for sure. <laughs> All right. So let's kick it off right at the beginning. You are drummer for Living Machines. When did your musical aspirations start out? What was your first instrument? How did you get into playing music? Probably like, uh, well, my both my parents are really into music. My uh, My dad grew up during the Piccadilly Circus punk movement in the UK. So he was there when the uh, like the Pistols and the Clash and the Smiths, all those bands, kind of came into being. Um, my mom, she's like a bit of a French Canadian hippie in her own way, and she's seen Rush and a whole bunch of other bands. So I grew up a lot around, you know, like music was always playing at my house, and you know they were always very big on um, allowing me to explore that. I got a little like some kind of kids six string guitar when I was a kid uh obviously couldn't play anything I was like eight <laughs> but um I got my first real instrument uh was a bass guitar mm-hmm. I started taking seriously I took like a couple of lessons just to figure out you know some some notes and scales and kind of how to use the thing and um after that it was acoustic guitar you know you do what you do you learn Led Zeppelin and and all the ACDC riffs and Crazy Train, <laughs> like the slew that everyone always learns. Uh, yeah, and then I got into drums. I think I was around 15 at the time. And that's when I kind of started really taking music, uh, kind of starting to go beyond a hobby and, and starting to play in my first few bands and stuff. Okay. Yeah. So your first bands were back in high school then? Yeah, the first band I would say was like, well, the first band I had played drums in was called Symbolic. We were like me and a couple buddies kind of writing really thrashy Slayer style riffs when I was younger. Um, but the first band I actually played in, I started to get some traction after that. We were called Receiving the Sign. And uh, we had played, uh, we were playing like one or two gigs a month in Kelowna at like the Gentleman's Club and the Habitat. Um, we opened for As LA Dying once at the Habitat. I was like, oh, wow. I was like 15 or 16, maybe it was like a year into the band, but mm-hmm. yeah. So that was kind of where it really started to pick up and, and, uh, kind of, you know, see my first few big bands as well. Um, back, back then the Habitat used to book, uh, Evergreen Terrace and Misery Signals and, you know, really cool bands, Dead and Divine. Like they were all coming through Kelowna. So it was hard to not want to get involved in the scene at that point. I understand that entirely. I was around actually the same musical era. Yeah. That that time was like right before Regina's scene sort of like kind of took a dive in the hardcore and 
metalcore aspects of everything so it was kind of mm-hmm. it was nice because that was like right when i got in the scene as well so i kind of understand exactly like what you're talking about yeah and it took a dive um i think it was around the time at least for me and maybe maybe it was still alive at the time but yeah uh like dubstep kind of blew up and i was really captivated by that i'd never really listened to electronic music before and mm-hmm. so i kind of put the drums down for a while and really got into beats and beat making and yeah turntabling and all that kind of stuff but Hmm. yeah it's cool to see the scenes on the rise again and there's a ton of cool local bands popping up and yeah it's it's pretty awesome stuff yes agreed it's really awesome like i've only been here since october but just like finding out all the different bands that are in this province and the variation (laughs) of styles and everything is fantastic because i mean i'm from a place with only a million people so (laughs) So everything's limited (laughs) yeah true enough even like you know vancouver island alone is just this phenomenally diverse and exponentially like growing music scene right like i have a bunch of buddies in bands out in victoria Mm -hmm. and uh yeah, Victoria alone just like holds it down as being a really cool hub that caters to tons of different genres, like metal all the way down to folk and singer-songwriter, right? No, that's it. Yeah. It's fantastic that they're able to have that culture, and it's weird because you find other places that don't feel like they can actually hold that, but it's just like, no, if you actually like put the effort forward, you could definitely hold the scene. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think for us now in Living Machines, uh, it's, you know, we we definitely try to throw a pretty big show every couple, two or three months in town. And we always try to bring in different out-of-town bands and work with different bands on most shows to kind of Mm -hmm. help keep the scene, you know, alive in some way, at least for genres that play or like the the niche of genres that we play, right? Yeah, because you want to do your part to it, but you don't want to like overdo it and like kill that market for yourself by doing a show like every month or even every second week, right? Because there's some bands that do do that. Yeah, I don't really believe in playing ourselves out, um, especially locally, right? Like, you know, in, in a town like Kelowna, it's so small that, you know, if if you're playing every week, I mean, you, I think you hurt your own ability to draw a crowd unless each show you're getting better and constantly giving people a reason to come out, right? Mm-hmm, without a doubt, because you have to take that time to write new material or work on your live performances or whatever it is that you feel like you need to improve on or else you're just going to become stagnant. Yeah, absolutely, man. And that's why we only, I think we only play in town three, four times a year, maybe. Yeah, and we've managed to have, um, I think, almost every show. This last one we didn't sell out. It was pretty hard because there was a big metal fest going on. It is the Mm -hmm. summer. Mm -hmm. It was our first summer show we had thrown, so I wasn't sure how that would go. But we did, uh, every show besides that one we've played locally, we've sold it out. So it's been been really sweet. And, you know, we're so humbled and grateful for having that support even in our own hometown, right? Definitely, without a doubt, because having that support allows you to actually be comfortable breaking out of that scene. Yeah, man, big time. And that's kind of where we're at now. Our next move is to try to build our build our scene outside of our hometown. So, mm-hmm. 
So we'll get into the touring aspirations a bit further on. When did Living Machines actually get its birth? When did you guys start out? Um, we were just trying to figure this out the other day. I was convinced that we hadn't been around as long as we had been, but um, I think it's around 2015 was when we kind of started putting it all together. Uh, I was living with our old vocalist, Rob Gardner, at the time, okay. and I got really inspired by Coheed and Cambria. I'm a diehard Claudio fan, so I mean, shout out. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I'd listened to them for years, and I didn't know that... I mean, I had heard they had a comic book series, but I had never read it. And yeah. I got it that year, and I think something just was triggered in me, and I was so inspired by it that I was like, well, fuck, we can we can do something like that. Sure, let's, let's go ahead. And uh, yeah, I wrote an EP. I kind of fleshed out some rough stuff, some instrumentals. Rob hopped on writing some lyrics, and uh, we started finding guys and putting the band together. So that was about... Yeah, almost three years ago now. Awesome. That's pretty deadly. Yeah. So, right off the start, did you guys, like, were you writing right away, or were you trying to, like, come up with a basis for, like, having that concept story, or, like, how did that all sort of, like, start out? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, I was, like, I went through this month of this frantic creation stage and i was like i'd come home from work and i'd have ideas swirling around everywhere and i'd like write stuff down and leave the house again and i was like a bit of a mess as i was feeling like more inspired than i had i think probably in my whole life up until that point and mm -hmm. the story itself is it's huge like it's just it, it there's so many pieces to it and it's so long that i think it took about I think about two straight months of just working on it to flesh out even the skeletal form of what the whole, f like, arc would look like and, like, you know, start to finish, so. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, it was kind of picking the first part of the story and then trying to flesh that out and then, again, finding the music that fit the moments in that part and mm -hmm. all the pieces kind of coming together, yeah. Okay, because I was kind of wondering how one would go about that. Because the band wants to write music and do other things, right? So it's just like, how much do you actually have to create of one in order to help fuel the other? Yeah, and like, I'm doing a bit of a... I'm doing some catching up right now. Mm -hmm. um, initially, it was just going to be some cool picture books, but I kind of really got into comics right after that. And I'm like, you know, we should, might as well just try and commit and make a comic book series. And... Now, because I'm working with an illustrator and I have an editor now, um, mm -hmm. shout out David Cousins, the guy's a beauty, he's a phenomenally talented illustrator, and uh, shout out Hassan, who's the editor, he's uh, working on a book for Image called Shanghai Red right now as a oh, letterer, nice. and yeah, super cool guy. Um, so I had written all four issues for the first story arc after Onyx, which is our first EP that we have out right now. Mm -hmm. And then we did the first issue, illustrated, lettered, everything, and we've submitted it. And then I'm currently having to rebuild some of the other three issues of that arc. Okay. So, but the band is already almost done writing the record for the next story arc. So I have like a lot of catching up to do. <laughs> yeah, well, that's so. fair because it kind of takes a bit more time because like Claudio yeah. with Coheed, he wasn't able to actually 
get any of the comic books rolling until a few years after and a few albums in for sure yeah and that was kind of like he only just released the comics for good apollo fear through the eyes of madness last year yeah that's like 12 years after the album had come out he finally put the comics out right Mm-hmm. because it's yeah. just it is how do you take what from an album and put it into a comic book and how do you take from a comic book and turn it into an album form and how do you actually tell that story and then you actually have to choose chronologically how do you wish to unveil that story as well right yeah big time and I mean, it's it's a very ambitious undertaking because mm-hmm. it's there's so much to it, and I think I enjoy it because if I'm not finding myself creatively inspired musically, I can always pick up my scripts and start writing. So it gives me multiple outlets depending on how I'm feeling creatively, which is wicked. But the downside is that there are these two massive parts you're always having to work on, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you always feel the uh, draw of the other one, and it kind of makes you feel like you should be here and you should be there at the same time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty bittersweet, but I mean, I don't really think I'd have it any other way at this point. Well, I mean, at the same time, you are doing what a lot of people wish they absolutely could do, which is fully chasing your creativity. Yeah, and, you know, don't get me wrong, right? Like, that much creative input over time, mm-hmm. it can definitely wear you out. Like, I get burnt out a lot, and I am I have to practice a lot more of self-discipline in just making time for myself because mm-hmm. it's so easy to just obsessively work on this all the time, right? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Okay. How involved were the lyrics right off the bat? Because you guys released your first single, um, White Flame, quite a bit earlier than your actual EP. So was that the beginning of the story right there? Was that prequel? Or how does that tie into everything? Right. Well, we had written the album, and then I brought my brother Balin on just as kind of a bit of a, a marketing director for us to really help us shape and flesh out I guess the aesthetic and the branding of what we were trying to achieve in a way that would hopefully set us a bit apart from, you know, everyone else in the area. Yeah. And we had finished the record. It was done and it was recorded. Mm -hmm. And then my brother's like, well, maybe you guys should take some time to really plan out the release for this EP and not rush it. So why don't you write a single? Mm -hmm. So it, it actually was the first thing we had all kind of written as a band uh, even though we wrote it after our first EP. And story-wise, it is it takes place technically in between the first and second album. Ah. So chronologically it's I'd like the story to be linear, but it always like it doesn't really always work out that way. So mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Well it's it is sometimes you just end up leapfrogging all over the place and sometimes yeah <laughs> like what do you do it, right <laughs> yeah absolutely man sometimes you get really excited about the third act and and then before you know it everyone's like man where is the script for the first one we need those <laughs> <laughs> where is uh, this going what am i singing about <laughs> yeah right okay so 
having done that, did you guys update any of the songs, or did you keep the EP as was from there on then? Um, yeah, the EP was the same. I think the EP, fortunately, before even trying to write comic book scripts with it, I had written a short story version of it okay. uh, back in about 2015, early 2016. Mm-hmm. So I already knew most of the pieces that were pertaining to that part of the story. So it wasn't okay. that big a deal to start writing scripts and build the story off of it. Mm-hmm. But for the next, like for this album that we're writing right now and the albums thereafter, mm-hmm. um, like I'm still kind of writing the story as we're writing the music. Yeah. Because I have bullet points. I'm like, okay, I know this character needs to do that. And I know this Mm -hmm. needs to happen here. And I know the feel of what the albums might be like, Mm -hmm. but until we actually sit down and write them, I don't totally know. Okay. So for the first issues of, um, the comics that are going to be coming out, does it follow right that first DP then? Yeah, so, like, the first track on the EP, the, the the first issue covers songs one through three on the EP. Okay. So there's, the intro to the album is this skit of this announcement kind of mm-hmm. saying that the world's about to get annihilated by this asteroid belt. And then in mm-hmm. page, I think it's page six or seven, as you're reading it, like, you're reading the characters running through this crazy frantic city of people freaking out, and there yeah. is that announcement is taking place in the book. Mm-hmm. So it's it's pretty much quite a crossover for content okay so because i was listening to the album earlier the voice clips and everything else are actual conversations or other things that are happening within the storyline yeah and i'm really trying my best to make sure that as we write the the comics we can have them be you know so so intertwined that as you're reading the book you're like, oh shit! Like that's that part and like track seven on the first record, and mm-hmm. and then there's also Easter eggs in both, so that you get the most out of the experience if you actually read the comics and listen to the music. Absolutely. So some parts are intentionally left out of either one. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. it kind of fills in the gaps here and there, and there's so much you can cover in a story within a song, whereas in a comic book you're actually fleshing it out in ink and words in a visual form. Yeah, totally, man. So it's represented a whole lot differently, so the things that you can bring forward throughout it is also has a lot of variation to it. Yeah, and like I think the music we are making right now being as angry and heavy as it is, yeah. for me it it kind of really adds a character to the story because the story in every sense is in no way happy it, there's a lot of death and destruction and people fighting to survive and it's it's pretty chaotic and i think what i liked most about coed in cambria yeah is that when you listen to the music half the time it's so happy mm-hmm. but then when i got to those moments in the comic it would be really gory and i'm like what you know like it just catches you off guard which was cool in its own way yeah mm-hmm. it, it's really interesting how the presentation through music can become so differently because just like you said you'll be listening to a song like feathers or something else and 
it's just like suddenly you find out like what it actually means for the story and it's just like whoa yeah okay. sometimes it's like real depressing <laughs> yeah but it's like the happiest chorus ever yeah yeah exactly and it's just like you get anybody singing along and they would have absolutely no idea that it's, oh this is about like you know murder and <laughs> yeah <laughs> totally man this is about murdering your children because you think they're infected with a virus. Eh? <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, I saw this meme and it was, it was uh, it was Coheed holding his two kids in in that first scene of the book <laughs> after he just poisoned them uh, yeah. on the word of Mayo, and it's just like uh, when your kids fall asleep in your arms. <laughs> it was just so not okay. Oh, it was wow. terrible. Oh, I laughed my ass off. Oh, wow. (laughs) Pretty good. Pretty good. (laughs) Okay, so because the music is technically ahead of the story, so as you're creating the content for the comic, are you finding that some things that you wish you could change throughout, or are you actually looking like that forward? Oh, man, so much. (laughs) (laughs) So much. We Working with Haas as an editor has been cool because – He's really helped out bring the most of the narrative in the story. Yeah. Um, and because After Onyx was initially going to just be a prequel to the real story. Okay. It kind of started to become this really drawn out not like narrative with maybe no real direction in some parts. Mm-hmm. And when I submitted my scripts to Haas, he's like, yeah, like there's good moments in here, but half of this we just have to redo. But the album's out. So what do you do? And I think based on the pacing that we're trying to achieve with the first four issues for the album. Now we are going to end up probably somewhere near track six or seven and not touch on the back four tracks of the record, which is okay. I can touch on them later in the story, Mm -hmm. but I was hoping it would all be linear, but it may not work out that way, at least just for the first album. So yeah, absolutely. You can always come back to it later and, flashback through a character or something exactly or or touch back on it or there's there's got to be some way to bring it to yeah i've got i've got hope that there's enough juggle room that we can kind of touch on them otherwise it'll just feel random right and i Mm -hmm. think when i read second stage turbine blade and you listen to the album you really aren't sure a lot of the time where the comic overlays with the with the music and I'm really trying to achieve a state with this project where you know exactly where you are depending on the book or, or the, the album. So that's something I've set out to do, but now having done it, you realize maybe, maybe it ended out that way for Claudio for the same reason. You just don't know. It definitely could be exactly yeah. that same reason, right? Or he's just, he had this going and then suddenly when he actually took it to the artist, it was just, dude, dude, we can't, we can't do this. And he's like, but the album's out. <laughs> <laughs> what am I supposed to do? We've been touring <laughs> on it for years now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. These kids are addicted to it. Our fan base is huge, dude. We can't do this. <laughs> you can't do this. Well, you have to. God. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. So, where does the band draw influence from musically? Oh, geez. <laughs> We're, we are a, a cluster of different influences. Um, geez, my background, I, I, I'm with, well, I don't even really listen to metal too much anymore unless we're playing it. 
but mm-hmm. my metal influences and heavier genre influences pretty much bands like Architects and Periphery, that kind of stuff, at least out of the modern batch of bands coming yeah. out right now. Uh, I was pretty big into Tesseract for a while, um, that kind of stuff. Uh, Robin, our guitar player, he's a diehard uh, Between the Buried and Me fan. Nice. So he brings a lot of the prog to the table and the changing time signatures and stuff that we may not think to bring uh, to the to the songwriting session, mm-hmm. which at first... I wasn't really about because the first EP is so metalcore, but now that we've been writing this next batch of songs together, it actually mm-hmm. brought out like some really cool parts, and I'm really grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, our other guitar player, Mason, he's a huge fan of OG 2008 metalcore stuff, and he and he's coming around to writing stuff that we do now. And uh, but you know, in loving that music and playing a lot of it, he is such a steady rhythm guitar hand it's it's phenomenal yeah that's solid then yeah absolutely and i always all our all our songwriting styles work well together because my drumming is very you know like periphery and stuff it's just kind of groove based drumming yeah and then you combine that with some heavy palm mute riffs going on and then robin brings in post-rock or avant-garde reverb leads and it kind of creates this cool aesthetic for all of us mm-hmm. um, and then our new vocalist brian he really digs uh, like he likes the, he like architects is one of his all-time favorite bands but he's the guy who is also really big into lots of power metal and stuff so like blind guardian and those kinds of bands with just big operatic clean singing so yes yeah we all come from different places but we we find a way to meet in the middle Okay, so it definitely allows you guys to create different tempos for which also helps with the storytelling. Yeah, so I'll kind of say, hey, this is the moment in the story that we're going to write this song for. I feel it's a bit of a darker moment, but if we feel it's prettier, then we'll just, I'll write the character to be sad instead of angry. So we kind of have these discussions on building the albums, so we can kind of come out with of it as a win-win situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so you plan yeah. that together, and you sort of see like where their ambitions and sounds are going as well, and then you can kind of alter your bullet points from there. Yeah, and then sometimes a guy will just bring a riff to the table and be like, hey, here's this riff I've been writing, and I'll think, okay, so where in the story can we use that? And then we'll try to shape that riff into a story moment that will fit. Yeah. So it's it's a lot because there are yeah there's just so many pieces to the puzzle that we're constantly juggling to make the whole thing as airtight and cohesive as possible. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. It's fun Very though. I, I really I enjoy it, man. It's it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Do you guys have any difficulties with the writing process where you guys clash with your styles? <laughs> well, I mean, I think. What, what I had noticed when we started writing this new batch of songs is mm-hmm. uh, we weren't all on Robin's level yet of okay. how much he's big into prog and like kind of more mathy time signature stuff. But w- there are definitely some moments on this new record where we really let him take that. And those are some of my favorite parts now. So maybe mm-hmm. I just need to get my act together and get on his level. <laughs> so you grew into it. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And I, up until... Was it even like four weeks ago? I never mm. really liked or had listened to Between the Buried and Me, and now I kind of like. I think I just understand where they're coming from, and mm-hmm. 
their their newer album automata part one is like such a cool record and i would have never i would have never been the guy to say yeah you know the new bt bam sweet but now i do mm-hmm. and then and then now i can kind of understand a bit more of where robin comes from musically well it's it is they're a very unique band in the way that they present themselves and they're definitely not everybody's cup of tea yeah but what they do they do well and I commend anybody for that, you know, like finding that niche. Like this is what all our styles sound like when we come together and that's kind of it. And you just run with it. Mm -hmm, Definitely. So has the style altered very much with the addition of the new lead singer? Yeah, big time. And I think also just because this next batch of songs is the first group that we've written together. Yeah. Or group of songs. Um, Yeah. So I think, when people hear this new EP, they're going to hear a whole side of us that they never expected to hear. And I think that's a really good thing. And I think working with Jordan Chase as the producer on the record, he's really helped find each of our pockets and really Mm -hmm. bring them together for us. So he kind of helped us find where our niche was and then really dive into that. So we're, we're all grateful to be working with him on this as well. No, it's definite. Having a good producer can definitely evolve your sound without even you realizing it. Oh, yeah. The objective ear on your music is huge because, you know, he just hears it all for the first time. Meanwhile, as artists, you're so close and attached to your product that, you know, sometimes you might not be thinking about seeing it from the other side. Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's been it's been a really cool experience working with him. Okay. So when you started creating the story, were you a very big comic book fan at that point, or was it something that you kind of fell into as you were building? Uh, something I fell into as I was building. I only really got into comic books about, yeah, two and a half years ago, two years okay. ago. Um, and now I'm obsessed, and our collection is just getting obscene. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so what are some of the uh, comics that helped break you into the scene? What were some of the things that helped you get into, and what now what are some of your can't-live-withouts? Ooh. But like, asides, obviously, Claudio Sanchez writing The Amory Wars and really kind of pulling me into appreciating comics as a medium. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that, I got into a couple different ones. Virtually anything Jonathan Hickman writes, I seriously enjoy. So he's done East of West, uh, Dead and the Dying, uh, Black Monday Murders, like really, really cool books, wicked stories. And yeah, he's never actually let me down as an author yet. So that that's definitely a win. Um, and then James Tinian IV writes a book series or comic book series called The Woods. And it is beautifully put together the stories top shelf the characters are amazing and that's the only comic book series i presently have that we have all nine graphic novels because it's just you can't put it down Hmm. so that would be my can't live without if anyone's thinking about getting into comics read the woods you won't regret it i have not checked out the woods yet so that's definitely something i'm gonna have to find yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then we got into a couple other of his books after that, Ufology and Cognetic, and they're also equally brilliant. So mm-hmm. those would probably be two of my favorite authors. And then Jeff Lemire is another really, really 
talented author. He does Gideon Falls and Descender. And Descender is, again, that's another can't put down, can't live without. And the new one, Gideon Falls, that he's just released. He's on issue five now. It's really good as well. Yeah, these definitely sound fantastic. And I am going to have to take a chance to go and check them out for myself at some point. Like I said, Quinn is a very creative guy, and we have a ton more questions for you. I want to ask you about the band's music videos. I want to ask you about some of your personal musical influences a little bit deeper. We're going to talk about your podcast, all sorts of things. But before I get to that, I need to take a quick moment to thank all the listeners of the Desert Tiger podcast who have taken the time to reach out to us and to pick out one of our killer traditional styled Desert Tiger t-shirts. These things are being shipped all over the world, you guys, and we couldn't be more thankful. We just got more in stock. Sized small to triple XL. The shirt is $20 with shipping. I'll say $30. We'll go flat rate with the shipping. We will literally ship anywhere that we possibly can to anybody. These shirts are super comfortable. The logo made by my man Darisenja over on Instagram is fantastic. It is killer. And like I said, I'm very thankful to everybody who has taken the time to go ahead and to cop one of these for themselves. It is the best way that you can support the podcast other than following, subscribing, or sharing the podcast. If you feel like you want to give us a little bit more support so that we can upgrade our audio gear, so that we can travel a bit further, so that we can get more opportunities to give you amazing interviews every week, that is the way to do it. Okay, so it's time to load up the jukebox one more time, you guys. I'm pretty sure I got a quarter around here somewhere. Oh my goodness, what do you know? There's an entire pile. We've got episodes, episodes on episodes worth of quarters here at the jukebox. But of course, we're going to be playing another track by today's guest, Quinn McGraw and his band Living Machines. This track features the band's new lead singer, and it is entitled The Valkyrie V2.
the Desert Tiger Podcast. So when you started writing, did you initially plan on it being more of a story novel then, or what was the intention? Yeah, yeah, I had initially wanted to write a book. The only reason I wanted to write a book was because it was cheaper to do. (laughs) Comics are... Fair. Comics are insanely expensive to put together. Uh, I think when all is said and done for the first issue, we will probably spend around six grand on it. Wow. So like, yeah, so it's, it's expensive, it's laborious, it's time consuming, but man, Mm. at the end of it, you get this result that you've worked with these other individuals and have created. Mm. And it's, it's, yeah, it just kind of takes your breath away. It's a sweet moment when it comes together. Mm-hmm. So would that $6,000 include production of them, or is that just like entirely in the creation process? That's just the creation process. So we've oh, sent wow. out, yeah, so we've sent out submission letters. I'm waiting to hear back from two publishers, one of which we have a nibble on. So they wrote back Ooh. saying like they're just discussing the offer. So uh, hopefully mm-hmm. that pans out. That would be really cool. I could be a published comic book author under a publisher in the next bit. I don't know. Fingers yeah. crossed, knock on mm-hmm. wood, and all the throw the salt over the shoulder, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, it, man. So if that doesn't necessarily pan out, are you prepared to self-publish? Yeah, absolutely. So Splice Comics is the indie comic studio house I have with my guitar player, Robin. Mm-hmm. And if we don't land a publishing deal, then I already have about four or five different comic book shops in the lower mainland who are ready to stock our books. So one way or another, whether it's a Kickstarter funding campaign to print the books and distribute them or just funding it out of our own pockets in one way or another, we'll have these books on the shelves regardless. So fantastic. Just can't stop. Won't stop. Right. Nah, and this is where, you know, I do this long enough and I'll burn out and have to take a weekend off. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It happens every once in a while, right? And that's okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it just means that it's time to take a little vacation. Everyone needs one every once in a while. Yeah, true enough, man. But it's it's tough when you really love what you're doing. I think that that's the hardest thing about it because, you know, I don't notice how much I'm always working on it because I'm just so passionate about it. So I want to work on it and I I get joy out of it and that's hard to just not do, right? Absolutely. It's especially after, because I assume you came out of school and probably like, did you go through job force or did you go through university? Uh, I went through, I did a year of post-secondary at Okanagan College. I'm a certified audio engineer, so okay. um, I record some bands on my spare time, and I do like mm-hmm. freelance graphic design and uh, web development and stuff like that, too. So most most mm. most tech stuff I usually have my hands in. Fantastic. That's pretty cool. I might actually have to hit you up for some web design. Yeah, hit me up, man. I did our website, <laughs> and I've uh, I've done some other ones, too, so absolutely. Deadly, deadly. Ours has to uh, take a serious step up so I can add some music reviews and a couple other things to it. Yeah, sure, man. Yeah, we can get talking about that. Absolutely. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll discuss that afterwards for sure. Yeah, off the record. So, uh-huh. <laughs> okay, okay. So we discussed some of your comic book influences, but let's get into music. Who were 
those musicians that you just couldn't live without or like you were always bumping back in high school who were your go-to's two musicians geez um fluctuates a lot i i'm a firm believer in good music being good music i mean from a personal level for sure but i can understand this yeah so i don't i don't really believe in just listening to one genre ever you know i was in high school i was huge into rap and hip-hop as much as i was into metal yeah and then like you know i was big into ambient was a big one i was really big into post-rock in high school too like i was all about Mm -hmm. explosions in the sky this will destroy you uh those like austin texas post-rock movement bands that were just you know nine minute ambient epics which were just (laughs) it's really cool soundscapes yeah um metal wise in high school i was really big into deathcore and like Amir, Suicide Silence, all those bands, the really heavy heavies. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and I was listening to a lot of like Atmosphere, Aesop Rock, not to be confused with ASAP Rocky. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, some good hip hop artists. Uh, Coed and Cambria, obviously, at that point in my life as well. Mm-hmm. Um, hardcore bands, I was big into Stick to Your Guns. Absolutely. Yeah, I see the tattoo. And, yeah, uh, <laughs> bit, bit of a lifer, man. Yeah, that's uh, respect. One of my favorite bands, right there. So <laughs> yeah, we, we saw them in live. Uh, we saw them live in Vancouver just recently with Counterparts and Architects. Oh. It was so good, man. Those I've guys only seen are them. They're only god. Seen them once. God tier, like just phenomenally good live. Yeah, I I saw them once back in 2014 and. It was amazing. Yeah, they're great. And their energy was just, they just, the pit just became a prison riot. It was insane. Yeah, was, uh, I, I don't know if I've cried at a show and moshed so hard at the same <laughs> show. Yeah, right? <laughs> oh, man. Um, it's like, they just draw everything out of you. <laughs> yeah, just all the emotions. Uh, oh, that was another one. In Flames was one of my Ooh. all-time favorite bands in high school. I saw them live twice. Yeah, I've seen them twice now. Uh, once in high school at Gigantour with some buddies we drove out to see. It was uh, Job for a Cowboy. They had just released mm-hmm. the Doom EP. And then it was Children of Bodom in flames and megadeth it was wow. just a crazy all-star lineup yeah mm-hmm. um and that band really helped pull me into seeing metal in a new light of how melodic and pretty it could be but still be so emotionally intense so i owe a lot to in flames in that regard for sure definitely they are full with embracing their emotion and bringing it out and it's it is it it hits you heavy but when you actually sit down and you look at the lyrics like you can actually connect with it and if you're feeling down like you understand it yeah and i've 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 cried at every single inflamed show i've I've been to (laughs) just tears man they're they're yeah they're a league above the rest i their new stuff I'm not too big on, but they, they still have a place in my heart for sure. I understand that. it's They've kind of taken a turn, and even the guitarists in the band have kind of came out and said that they themselves weren't even a big fan of 
the newer direction. <laughs> yeah, it's like pop metal stuff. I don't know. I mean, yeah, you, you, you mm-hmm. can't you can't give it like giving bands a hard time for not writing the same record for 15 years is silly. I get it. Mm-hmm. You know, because um, you have to start appeasing your other tastes musically for sure. But I think in that being said, you as a band also can't expect to have the same group of fans your entire career if you start making leaps and explorations like that, right? This is very true. It's something that Protest the Hero is very embracing of, where every time they release a record, they basically say, well, this is our new music. We enjoy it. You're probably going to hate it, but... But here it is. So, yeah, that's it. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. All right, so you are about to kick off your own podcast. Yeah, Would man. Would you like to tell me a little bit about Inside the Machine? Um, yeah, sorry, subtle correction. Into the Machine, just throwing Into it out the there. Into the Machine. Yeah, yeah, I'm no, sorry. it's cool. I'm All sorry. good, buddy. Um, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoy just talking shop with people, and I find it's podcasting like this is a really mm. cool way to connect with other people, have conversations about, you know, what you're doing or what you're passionate about and share that with maybe people who are listening in who mm-hmm. are already on a creative path and that helps them realize that, you know, it can help affirm like, yeah, you know what? This guy's going for it and like I'm happy that I'm going for it and it can make affirmations for people that way. Um and it can also maybe inspire people who are listening to go like, man, and you know like these guys are doing it and like who's to say I can't too, right? And whether that be podcasting or music or art, you know, I think it's important to just try new things and my podcast is just all about talking to musicians and artists and creatives about what it's like to be a creative human in a modern world going against the status quo. So yeah fantastic definitely kind of the same idea that we have going on here so yeah man and there there are definitely some really cool podcasts out there um the vocalist from silverstein has one called singer syndrome and he just has a slew of interviews with famous frontmen from big bands talking about you know their stri- uh, their triumphs and struggles of being frontmen, and you know what it's like for them and and I think it's sweet that people are willing to get vulnerable and share that mm-hmm. with with the world, right? No, absolutely. It's yeah. amazing. And actually, I'm a huge fan of Lead Singer Syndrome and a lot of the other Jabberjaw media shows big on uh, the X-Man with Doc Coyle. Oh, yeah, yeah. I listened to Managemental on the, the Jabberjaw it's just like listening to band dads talk about band dad stuff and it's perfect yeah. and I love it. And I've learned so much from just being a fly on the wall to those conversations. Oh, it is a wellspring of information that just so many bands don't have the opportunity to get their hands on. Or there's so many people in the industry who are bitter about the way that the industry treated them. So they don't want to pass things on or things of that yeah. sort. Yeah, absolutely, man. Hmm, well, you've covered a little bit of the music. We've covered a little bit of the story. We've covered a little bit of the podcast, my friend. 
Yeah, I think that kind of sums me up creatively at this point in my life, for sure. For sure. Well, I'm sure we could delve uh, a lot, lot more into it if we really wanted to. But before I ask my last question here today, where can my listeners find you and all of your creative outputs? Okay, here comes here comes the social media list. For Living Machines, that's uh, the metal band that writes the music for my comic series. You can find us uh, online on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. On Facebook, we are facebook.com slash livingmachinesinitiative. On uh, Instagram, we're also livingmachinesinitiative. And then on Twitter, it's lvmcinitiative. So pretty much that and then we have a website lvmc official and then uh, our merch stores lvmc official.com slash store i think or dot store yeah something like that yeah <laughs> um for splice comics which is my uh comic studio that we're writing the comic book for the band under we're on facebook facebook.com slash splice comics official and then on instagram it's just at splice comics and then the podcast is a Facebook group, so you can just go facebook.com slash groups forward slash into the machine podcast. And then also on Instagram at into the machine podcast. And then I'm currently in the process of firing up a website for that right now. Awesome. There's there it is. Fantastic. There's all of my links. <laughs> okay. Okay. So Usually I like to tie things to leave sort of like a little bit of motivation at the end of everything. Sure, man. The direction I want to go with this one, I feel, I think I've got it figured out. So I'm going to try and swing it. Hit me. Give me your best shot, homie. Is someone who developed some of these interests that you are currently chasing later on in your life saying so like with comic books and everything else maybe you were a little bit more into the writing and things earlier on for those who are a bit younger who are being told like you have to do this you have to do that why don't you have to get stuck in that rut and why is it okay to chase new interests and pursue new dreams if other things don't necessarily pan out right um it's a loaded question but i enjoy it i think it's important to know that it's okay to fail at something i think that's the biggest thing i can tell absolutely anybody because if you aren't failing then to some degree you're not learning that's not to say that you're not going to try something first shot and you're gonna you know like if you make it work out first try good for you but if you fail at something, and sometimes you fail miserably, instead of having a pity party and being upset with yourself that you put yourself out there and create this story in your mind that it was it would have been safer to have not tried at all, I would challenge you to turn that into inspiration to motivate you to try again. One of my favorite quotes ever is, if you're going to fail, fail forward. And... You know, like starting a podcast. I'm like, yeah, I listen to podcasts. It may be kind of fun to try one. And I put feelers out there. And now I've got some people who want to sit down and have conversations. And it was like, okay, sweet. The ball is rolling. Same for music. I've played in, I've been playing in bands for 10 years now. And it was only, you know, two and a half, three years ago that I finally found a band 
with like-minded individuals who really wanted to take a shot at this. So yeah, if, if you're going to take an exploration into something, you know, if you have a way you want to do it, do it your way, see if that works and like be ready for the long haul, man. Like we're just doing our second record. We're going to be doing our first Western Canada tour coming up. I don't know if we'll get signed in the next year or three years or five years. Who's to say, right? But that doesn't mean you shouldn't try. And I also think it's important to know that everyone is going to have an opinion on the way you should do something. And everyone's going to have an opinion on whether or not you should do it. But if deep down you feel it's the right thing to do, and the right thing to explore, then that should really be the only person that you're listening to, right? Like if someone starts telling you, you know, oh, you shouldn't be doing this, or, you know, you've been doing music for five years, maybe it's time to go get a degree. Like, you know, they don't understand where you feel about that. And it's important to remember that you're doing this because you love it. And like anything else is a bonus, right? Absolutely. I think that's... I think that's my two cents there. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very good answer. Very yeah. good answer. Thanks, man. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Quinn. Yeah, cheers. Thanks for having me on the show, man. I, I was listening to it on around at work today, and I was uh, getting real excited for our conversation. So thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Mm, actually, one more question. Yeah, Was sure. li- Was Living Machines the first time you actually recorded any of your music? No. No, we, we've recorded... Well, I've been in bands that have recorded since receiving the sign back when I was 16. Um, that first band, we we recorded two songs and we got one of them on like a North America's top 25 unsigned screamo band compilation CD. So yeah, so I've been I've been recording music in and out of bands for a, a decade now. Yeah. So have you toured before besides the upcoming unannounced Living Machines <laughs> hitting the road? Yeah, I've done some touring. Um, I no one else in the band has. I think, I think Robin's done like a couple out of town shows before, maybe in Calgary or something with his band, My Brother the Doctor. But um, yeah, I've toured BC and Alberta a bunch of times, and then. Uh, this will be Living Machines' first Western Canada tour. So, Fantastic. Well, I hope it goes extremely well for you guys. I'm hoping that I can catch you somewhere along the way, Kamloops. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> oh, Kamloops, play Kamloops. <laughs> yep, exactly, exactly. And I look forward to hearing some new... Oh, 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 I keep saying last question. I have another one. So, you guys have a couple music videos. Ah, uh, yes. How do you guys plan your music videos, and do those tie into the stories that you are telling through your music and the comic book? Uh, yeah, so to answer the latter question, yes. Um, uh, well, we like, aside the one video we have just put out, the Valkyrie version 2, which was just, it was made, made to be an intimate off-the-floor video um but for the music video for the aluna war for and uh and for white flame those are all story based um both of them are metaphorical and kind of like allegorical representations of the story like in issue two there's a line where the character james gearhart says 
um, war is a war is a snake that feasts on the heart of men. So then for the Luna War music video, it's literally a guy dancing with snakes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and that was kind of an afterthought. So the White Flame video is like, okay, well, this is this character, Darcy, uh, Darcy Vance, and she has white hair, and they all have black eyes in the story. So it's like we just got her dancing around, uh, doing some contemporary dance with the, the metal side of the video. Uh, and then for the Snake video with Luna War... It was like a last moment kind of thought. We were going to do a video with us, but we had just parted ways with our front man. And then we were going to proceed with the video with our new guy standing in. But at the last minute, we just, no one really felt right about it. So we just canned the whole video idea and had to come up with something else. And then our director, Tegan McGinnis, he's like, why don't we just get a guy with some like snakes and shit? Why don't, why don't we just get a guy dancing around and get, get some cool, weird, eerie shots. And then I had to figure out how to tie that into the story. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's pretty fantastic then. So doing some metaphorical. Yeah. There's a way, man. If you can like even it. find one sentence to, to tie it all together, you, you, you know, go for it. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe that's how Coheed comes up with their videos as well. Yeah, who knows? (laughs) Who knows? All right, thank you so much for joining me and giving me the time, answering all my questions, and just everything. Yeah, man. Thank you, and, uh, you know, all the best with your show, and hopefully uh, things keep uh, going on and upward for you, buddy. Okay, you guys, it is that time again. Unfortunately, it is the tail end of the show, so let's go ahead and kick this off by giving a big Desert Tiger thank you to our guest today, Quinn McGraw. I am very thankful for him for being willing to sit down for my curiosity-filled mind and answer all my questions about living machines, Gemini, A Tale of Future Earth, his upcoming podcast, Into the Machine. That's right. I mean, it isn't an episode of Desert Tiger if I don't forget the name of something, right? I mean, almost every episode I pull this off, somehow. Because I'm just amazing like that, you guys. Amazing. So once again, big thank you to Quinn. If you are in Canada, keep your eyes open on Living Machines. They are going to be announcing a cross-Canada tour with another fantastic band that they are going to be touring with. You definitely want to keep your eyes open for that if you are a metalhead. I'm also going to take some time to go ahead and thank you guys, the listeners here at the DTP. The glory, the story, the backbone of it all. You guys are amazing with your support. The follows, the subscribes, the sharing of the episodes, letting me know how much you love our guests, the episodes, your favorite things that have happened, some of your favorite moments. I love the outreach that you guys do. I love everything about our fan base, this little community that we're building. Once again, I want to give a shout out to everybody who has gone ahead and gotten themselves a Desert Tiger traditional logo t-shirt. Like I said, we got small to triple XL, so if you want to cop yourself one of those, you can hit us up on any of our social medias, and you might as well go ahead and give us a follow on our 
Facebook, our Instagram, and our Twitter, Desert Tiger Entertainment. You guys know what it is. Okay, so you know that we love finishing every episode off with a quote, something to get you motivated, inspired, fired up, ready to tackle your weekend, your day, whatever it is that is sitting in front of you today. So I'm kind of feeling a video game quote right now. I'm kind of really feeling the Zelda lately. Zelda's a great game with some amazing storylines about friendship, love, heart, honesty, all those great, great topics. And this is a quote from Sheik, who is technically Princess Zelda. (gasps) Spoiler alert, if you guys didn't know that, you are like over a decade behind. Alright, this is from Sheik from the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. It is something that grows over time. A true friendship. A feeling in the heart that becomes even stronger over time. Okay, you guys, have yourselves a fantastic weekend. I'm going to catch you again next Thursday with another fresh episode of the DTP. So until then, pea soup.